Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am Mr. Craigers. And I am Miss Melmoy. And we are your hosts. This is episode 18, 18, 17 or 18? 18. 18. 18. And tonight we are going to do our first original versus remake throwdown. This is an idea that Miss Mel and I had way back when we conceived of the podcast. And we thought that this was the perfect time of year to roll that idea out because we will be taking a look at the original My Bloody Valentine and its remake, My Bloody Valentine 3D. (laughs) (laughs) There's an asterisk on that one, as you can see. There's an Um, asterisk on that one there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll take a look at each movie and uh, um give you our thoughts and dissections and then decide which one wins. Yeah, Cuz this is the most plans that either of us have for Valentine's. <laughs> <laughs> this is as far yeah. as we go. This is as far as we go for Valentine's Day, you know. Well, Craig has bar trivia, but yeah. I do have bar trivia. Maybe it'll be uh, Valentine's Day themed. This is my usual Tuesday night plans. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Mr. Eric and I, we're doing our little dinner thing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. We didn't get each other gifts. We didn't, we're not doing anything. I'll consider tomorrow dinner. my Valentine's Day then, since I'm going out with a bunch of people from work. Um, there you go. And I will be oh. the only female there. <laughs> So it's Palantine. And all you listeners out there are our Valentines as well. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, it gets sad after you're done elementary school when they force you to make Valentines for every single person in the class. Okay, but how great was that? Because then you also got a shit ton of Valentines. And you, and you felt like, so loved by these kids. And you who, candy and you were like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't happen in, in real life. Um, oh. But yeah, no, I do love our, our holiday-themed... Uh, a podcast, and it's interesting because I remember reading way back when uh, Mr. Kreger's blog when he s- talked the first time about um, the My Bloody Valentine 3D remake. Really? Yeah, I read that <laughs> um, on his blog, um, splatterchatter six 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 at blogspot.com, which I will plug again at the end of the episode, as many of you know. Um, but yeah, he wrote about how. Um, Basically, he felt it was one of the few remakes that lived up to the original and, and did a mighty fine job. So um, we're going to revisit that and talk about it, and you can see if you agree or not. Um, remakes are always polarizing. Um, and I think we've talked a little bit about them in terms of um, Nightmare on Elm Street's remake specifically, where um, which was such an interesting remake because it was garbage but they did so much different with the story and so much you know more serious and closer what they wanted to do with the original story that you know it begs the question like sometimes are horrible remakes necessary to kind of get points across um and remakes aren't necessarily a bad thing even though we want them to be um so we'll explore that here yes it's gonna be it's good there's so 
there's there's a surprising amount to talk about with My Bloody Valentine, both the original and the remake. And I feel like if you're not necessarily a horror person, that sounds odd to you because this is not super well known. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's Canadian. It is Canadian. It is Canadian. Yeah, let's let's just dive right in, shall we? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, so we'll start with the original, obviously. My Bloody Valentine, released in February of 1981. Naturally, February. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, focused on the, the town of Valentine's Bluff. Um, which was, which is a mining town in Ohio, I think, maybe is where um, it's set. Yeah. Like around a, the Ohio, like PA area uh, yeah. where they mine coal. Where they mine shit. The sad coal mining part of the United States that makes up District 12. <laughs> yeah. Is where this, real. this takes place. Surprise, Katniss is from Valentine's Bluff. And, um... One Valentine's Day, um, two of the supervisors in the mine, they uh, they leave to go to the town's annual Valentine's Day party. And in their absence, there is a, uh, a terrible accident. Um, and a bunch of the miners are trapped and because the supervisors are there. There's, there's no one to help them. And no one realizes that they're trapped. And so um, a man named Harry Warden, in order to survive, has to resort to cannibalism. And when he eventually escapes, he murders the supervisors that abandon their posts. And so he's committed to a mental institution and the town essentially footloose style bans Valentine's Day. (laughs) There shall be none. For the next two decades. And then that's when the present story picks up, and there's a general consensus led by the mayor that we have left that dark past behind us, and it's okay for the annual Valentine's Day dance to reoccur, which, since this is a horror movie, you know is not a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Gonna keep, I, I guess we can just lay out the, uh, uh, the plot for it. Um, so, basically, okay, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so what ends up happening, basically, is naturally things escalate. Um, the, the sort of calling card here is that this killer is, like, people's hearts are being ripped out. And they're sending them in, in a heart-shaped Valentine's Day box um, to the mayor and, and the, uh, the sheriff and... Um, they cancel the dance, but then naturally teenagers being teenagers are like, we're going to do it anyway and have sex and all sorts of debauchery um, by the mine. Um, and they start getting picked off one by one by the killer as things go. Um, and eventually, basically what ends up happening, spoilers, um, the are masked... Uh, mind killer turns out to be the son of one of the men killed by Harry Warden, not uh, Warden himself. Um, 
and uh, he basically escapes at the end into the mine and is laughing manically. Daddy's gone away. Harry Warden made you pay. Yeah. Um, which is creepy as shit. Um, that is creepy as shit. That is the last line of the movie. Yeah. Um, and obviously he... Spoiler. <laughs> he he's he's taught he like he utters the phrase my bloody valentine um but yeah so basically you know set up for the murder spree murderer masked in a mining mask um nice little trickery at the end in the reveal of um the yeah. identity of the killer because i feel like at the time the identity of the killer wasn't as important. I feel like that's kind of actually even like a product of the nineties, like revealing the idea, like who's the killer? Like, who is it? Which one of us is it? Like that wasn't a thing in, in Friday the 13th or Halloween. Um, so this is one of the early movies that kind of made the identity of the killer, a focal point of the story, I feel like, and made it a twist. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so Craig and I are both drinking and eating, so this <laughs> is a hot second. Um so the original. Okay. So it, it comes out in nineteen eighty one. And it sort of it, it sort of fell by the wayside. Um when it was initially released, like in the, uh, the glut of other, it, it was the slasher craze in the early eighties. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Halloween had kicked it off Friday the 13th really made it pop. You had a lot more successful slashers that had come out in, in 1980, terror train, prom night, uh, silent scream, and their sequels were already in the works. They were dominating. And My Bloody Valentine was very much a victim of oversight at the time. But, and you can see why that is. But if you watch it now, it's still kind of a cut above the rest of like all those slashers that it was grouped into. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's actually, I think it had been released a little bit later. It would have been more popular at the time. Yeah, I think it, um, I mean, obviously it follows the, the kind of same formula, formula of a lot of these slashers, but I think it's also fairly unique. I mean, um, it's a slasher that uses the holiday theme, so you've got kind of two horror films in one. You've got a holiday horror film and a slasher horror film, um, and it used its environment to its advantage, you know, a great deal. The mines, the, the killer dressed as a miner, um, with an ER, mm-hmm. not an OR. Um, uh, <laughs> and it, and it was one of the only movies at the time that kind of made the identity of the killer part of the story. Um, and part of kind of the crux of the story, which isn't really something that I think happened until like scream in 1996 it was like, well, who's the killer? What's the killer? Like, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Um, which is definitely something that Halloween and Friday the 13th weren't really doing because they kind of relied on the ominence of their own killers to, like, set the tone, the shape. Um, I, You know, Mrs. Voorhees is kind of, you know, 
I guess, an example of them being like, whoa, who's the killer? Oh, it's Mrs. Voorhees. But um, even later things like, you know, Friday the 13th and all their, or Friday the 13th, uh, 2, 3, you know, whatever, all of them kind of relied on the fact that you had a cultural understanding of the killer and you were like, you're going to be scared just seeing that mask. Like, you know. This was totally just traditional, like, someone's on a murder spree. It's freaky. We don't know who it is. We think we do. Turns out at the end, we don't. Yeah, because even, so even with Mrs. Voorhees in Friday the 13th, it's almost like there's no, and we talked about this in our episode, there's nothing to let you indicate that you can't possibly guess that it's her. Yeah. Yeah, the movie movie does not encourage you to say, who's the killer? It's just, oh, these kids are dying. Here, the killer's on the scene from the very beginning. And you can piece it together. But what's interesting is that even though it was so early on in the craze, you're watching it and you're already conditioned to not look for a killer. Because you just assume it's, it's Harry Warden. Yeah. You know, the original killer from our prologue. And when you find out it's not, it, you know, like, you're like, oh, oh. Yeah. So that does... Yeah. That doesn't stand out. Yeah, no, that just, that sets up for so many things later, you know, if you look at it like, you know, Shyamalan twist movies and that sort of thing. Not to say that, you know, that wouldn't have happened without Bloody Valentine, because plenty of things had twists. Alfred Hitchcock, you know, like, the greatest twist master. Um, But this is, like, such a unique film in the genre that it's in, you know? It was kind of the original slasher with a twist, the slasher with the twist identity of the killer, Um, because I feel like that's never something that's important um, in slashers, or it wasn't at the time. Now it's kind of become a thing, like you blend in mystery with, with horror, but everything was about culture, you know, like how scary it is just to look at Michael, and it doesn't matter who he is, he's just, you know, this horrifying being that is out to kill babysitters. Um, and it doesn't matter who's killing them at, at the camp in, in Friday the 13th, because it's just scary that these isolated counselors are being picked off by something in the forest, and there's something sort of primordial about that. Um, whereas this, you know, it is about the history and about the humans in the history. Yeah, which another great thing to, that sets my bloody Valentine apart um, is that it had the the wit to to stray from that usual slasher setting, you know, yeah. it's that this doesn't take place at a dorm, it doesn't take place at a summer camp or a high school or in the suburbs. Um, it the the location of the mine and having it be a mining town lends a very grubby feeling to the movie. Yeah, you know, con. You know, obviously these like memories of a dead industry and stuff or whatever, but it gives you a very, very different feeling from all yeah. these other slashers of the of the 80s and stuff or whatever that were so sort of cookie cutter, conveyor belt, sameness. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you don't really get anything like, like even afterwards, nobody was making movies about mining towns. 
I feel like. And honestly, the yeah. only thing I can think of that kind of draws from something like this is the, um, I'll call it like the remake version of the Slenderman video game. The paid version that they created after um, Slenderman itself got so popular, por a portion of it takes place in an old mine um, where you are chased around by this this thing but like that's like the only other example I can think of you know 20 years later 30 years later of a horror setting taking place in a mine like a main not necessarily mainstream but like a big thing mm -hmm. in horror taking place in in a mine and I think my bloody valentine you know using that is so because the thing is is like you know setting is so important to, to what you're doing. I mean, in Halloween, it was about setting up, you know, it's, this is the suburban town. So it's like about setting up, um, sort of insecurity of the fact that, you know, there's somebody in this suburban quaint little town going around killing babysitters, you know, that had an effect. And then we talked about in Friday the 13th, the way that these kids getting, um, picked off in the woods kind of plays on the primordial fear of the woods um, that we also talked about in Blair Witch and The Witch and all these other things, lots of witches, lots of other things like that that take place near the woods. You know, with this, it's like such a unique setting because it's like, yeah, it's like you said, it's a dead industry. It's, it's part of something that's bygone. It's a little bit depressing to see. Um, it's isolating. Yeah, it just the setting itself just it's it's hits on this chord that's like it makes everything feel offset mm -hmm. and they juxtapose it well with this sort of like exuberant like ghoulishness yeah. of the rest of the the film and like the characters and everything with with the party and the history of the town and stuff or whatever and it makes for a very interesting, like, cocktail of shedding, yeah. as it were. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it's interesting that you use the word ghoulish because that's, like, exactly how I would describe, you know, the entire apparatus of the killer. Like, yes, it's mining gear, it's a gas mask, it's whatever, but it's total, like, industrial ghoulishness. Like, that's what it is. It's, like, the ghost of... of that era of of something that the the kids in the town have forgotten um kind of coming back to rear its head yeah which is another way for them to sort of be original with that like box that they sort of have to tick for slashers you know mm -hmm. like where you have those young kids who hit like history doesn't apply to them yeah like the kids and Friday the 13th, the, what happened there before, that doesn't mean anything to them, you mm -hmm. know? Michael being taken away to the people of Haddonfield, whatever, he's, he's gone and stuff, whatever. You always have that thing where, like, the young kids, history doesn't apply to them. And in this movie, it's interesting because, like, history literally hits them in the face with a pickaxe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Apply to you. Yeah, this applies to you. Um, yeah, like it's just in. It's just such a like. There's so many levels in which this film is unique that um. It's so interesting that you know it's like somewhat of a cultural thing because you know like Good Charlotte had a song named after um the movie, um, mm -hmm. 
Although, according to the Wikipedia page, the Irish shoegaze band oh. My Bloody Valentine did not get their name from this film, is all it said. <laughs> okay. But, um... All right. No, good, and it's funny, too, because the Good Charlotte song actually does make reference to the movie, because there's lyrics about, like, a heart in a box and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I mean, like, Which, it's such a unique film, and it's got such unique visuals, and it's also famous for being incredibly violent. Yeah, they had to, before they could release it, the um, MPAA made them cut, like, ten minutes or something of the movie, or they would have gotten an X rating, which is, like, a death knoll. Yeah. For American movies. Or movies released in America, rather. Um, and it is pretty gory. I mean, like... It, like, there are some choice kills in this. Yeah. Like, Big axe in the face. Big um, in the face. A couple get skewered. Um, there's, like, the... Um, there's an amputation at one point. Somebody yeah, yeah, cuts off his own arm. Yeah, cuts off his own arm. There's the... Um, somebody gets impaled on a shower faucet. Same. And that's like... Same. They find a body in like the tumbler dryer. This is a, this is a vicious movie. Yeah. Um, but it was it like it knew what it was doing because when you had this boom of the slashers in the early eighties, coming off of Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth, audiences didn't really want super originality. They loved the slasher formula and you could really only change the setting and like change the kills, like make the kills unique and original. That's what people wanted. They didn't want any complicated backstories or trying to do like, they wanted the same movie, just change the setting and come up with unique ways to. It's like totally like what led to Saul where it was like, you know, it's all about the traps at a certain point. Um, you know, whether or not, you know, you enjoy the philosophy of the original Saw movie, by the time, like, the third one rolled around, it was all about, like, what creative ways could I watch human beings be mutilated um, to save themselves from death? Um, and that's super what happens here. Like, you know, this was, you know, like the third or fourth film, I feel like, that came out, the big one, amongst the big ones that came out in the slasher genre. And it was like, what can we do to make ourselves stand out and to make ourselves, you know, known in the presence of these people who are now desensitized to this stuff? And it's like, make it as bloody as possible. Because if you look at things like... Yeah, um, have a novelty weapon. The yeah, pickaxe was a, a yeah. good choice. And again, um, like the visual, the apparatus, the mining apparatus. No one was doing anything like that. Like, you yeah. know, the, the Michael's mask is obviously very unique, and um, Jason's mask that eventually shows up in the third one is very unique, like a hockey mask. Like, what a weird thing. Um, you know, like, all that stuff's unique, but they all kind of, like, have the same sort of thing. Like, you've got this emotionless face, this emotionless sort of white, ghoulish face. Here, we've got, like, this total, like, industrial, like, cyberpunk-looking, horrifying creature of, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the underground. 
Like, there's really nothing that creates mm-hmm. the visual of the killer the way that um, My Bloody Valentine did, I feel like. I completely agree. And you just, you feel it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you feel the minor's presence throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. And I think that says something to, like... Like, okay, so this was, this was you know, this was a, like a, a conveyor belt slasher, right? It, it, it ticked all the boxes that you were supposed to tick at the time. Calendar killer, signature weapon, um, POV shots with the mandatory heavy breathing. But for all that, it still had things it shouldn't, like a really high production value and really atmospheric cinematography that makes you feel that sense of dread throughout. Um, there's some good, like, imaginative camera angles in the original movie. Um, it feels almost art film sometimes, like, when you're watching it. And that, that like, that uh, run-of-the-mill slasher at the time was not, was not supposed to look like the way my Valentine looked like. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So it's... It was... It was good. I mean, it's not, you know... The, the dialogue is super corny. Um, but that, that adds to the fun. Yeah. And, you know, I think, like, they they were in on the joke in a way. Like, they knew it was corny. They knew this was kind of a far-fetched idea. But, <clears throat> I don't know. It's It's, like, one of those rare slashers that is super bloody and super gory, but, like, there's not a sense of cynicism to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, as weird as, as it is to say, I suppose there's kind of just sort of a sense of creativity <laughs> with some of the ways that these people are killed, um, which, you know, is totally is- macabre and, and, and fucked up. But, um, yeah. you know, it's it, it's not... The way it's done just makes sense because... You know, it's totally deranged is is kind of the way I'd put it, you know, like with the way this killer looks, the atmosphere of the movie, like, you know, of course the kills are going to be obnoxious and horrific and freaking strange, especially since, um, you know, before this, you know, Michael Myers killed with a butcher knife and um, you've got... Well, Mrs. Voorhees killed with whatever because you didn't really have Jason yet. Um... But, you know, these people kind of killed with run-of-the-mill stuff. You know, they were cutting throats, stabbing people in the back, you know, maybe occasionally doing something, what have you. But this is like, like, no two people die the same way in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Nope. I mean, Axel was a very creative killer. Yeah. We've got to give him that. Yeah. And, Uh I mean, it's just all part of it. It's like, you know... Yes, there's a signature pickaxe, but it's like, holy shit, like, (laughs) (laughs) what's happening? Uh, What? Yeah, it's, I I really like the original. Um, It, like, I don't know, there's something, there's something charming about it, which is weird to say. (laughs) (laughs) 
because it shouldn't be, but like, I don't know. I like the winks to the audience that they kind of do throughout. I like the atmosphere. I like the killer. Um, I, I don't know. They're, they they didn't necessarily do anything original, but yet somehow they ended up with an original movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like they took pieces of 15 different movies or just even 15 different concepts, not even movies, just like horror concepts and horror motifs and put them yeah. all together in one movie. Yeah, because they're not even like, they don't specifically, you're right, like borrow or steal, but yeah. you can see what helped them. Yeah. There are nods, like they have the nod to like the Tales from the Crypt, like the... Yeah. the Gloomy bartender who's like, yeah, where happy of you, yeah, happy. <laughs> like that's very sort of, yeah, and like the they were doing there with that like poetic justice segment thing yeah. from like Crypt Keeper ish and stuff or whatever. Um, but like it's still their own thing. I don't know how they managed to make this movie, god. <laughs> Like, they were high. They were high as hell. Like, let me throw this in and throw that and throw this in. Yeah, but it worked. Yeah, no, like, and I think it aged well, too, interestingly enough. Um, Yeah. If only because it is so gory. Um, And that always kind of, uh, I think, will frighten people no matter what. Um, Even if it's 1980s sort of corny gore um yeah and you know like there's just so much timelessness in like little town abandoned mine like i mean obviously you know like people you know if you're in a metropolitan area you know whatever but like people who come from like you know craig in pittsburgh like the bygone time of the steel industry like you can see remnants of it in pittsburgh i've got plenty of of leftover mining crap where I'm from because we were not that far from from where the coal mines were happening. Um, Oh, yeah. There's actually, I used to go to all the time, there's a haunted house out by me that takes place in an old abandoned mine. (sighs) The Torrent Mine. We should have gone. I know. Um, It's very creepy. So it's, it's obviously super out of the way. But it's um, it's pretty creepy. You, yeah. They put you in a white cart and everything. Oh, God. Yeah, like, yeah. I lived for a bit of time when I was a teenager in Phoenix, Arizona, and that is nothing but abandoned gold mines um, <laughs> from when, you know, people kind of rushed out west and, and uh, drained the mines of everything they were worth and then moved on. And, you know, they kept a lot of these, these things kind of as museums and relics. Like, there was this old ghost town not far from me that was kept on as kind of like a tourist destination because they were like, look at this whole ghost town that got fucking abandoned three seconds after, you know, the mine stopped producing gold and you can tour like parts of the mine and stuff. And it's just like, so like, it's just, just strange, very specific atmosphere. And I feel like you even see it in something like trick or treat when they go to the quarry. Like it's just, there's (laughs) just evidence of like old things happening here. Um, and kind of the, the atmosphere of it doesn't go away even, even though, you know, all work here and activity here is done, you know, you just get a right. sense for, for the atmosphere of 
the work in a bygone time and, and something that is kind of um, contemporarily ancient in a way. Um, and it's just like that's such the nothing. Past can always hurt you. Yeah. Or, yeah, and you know, I don't think... Ghost stories, slashers, you know, uh, you're... Yeah. Beware of the past. Yeah, and I think this is one of the few movies that actually brings that into the environment. Like, obviously, the point of many horror movies and many slashers is like, you know, event X happened 10 years ago, don't fuck it up, and there's kids who fuck it up. This is like, yes, event X happened 10 years ago, don't fuck it up, but it's also built into the, the framework of the environment because you've got the mind. Um, this thing that used to exist that really no longer exists anymore, yet it's still here. So, yeah. Yeah. Uniqueness, kids. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, so... To take a look at the remake? Yeah, 2009. <clears throat> My Bloody Valentine 3D was not um, released in February. <laughs> no, I think it was released in, like, like a month before Valentine's yeah. Day. Yeah. Um, which, whatever. Which, whatever. Um, so, here's the thing about My Bloody Valentine 3D. You probably don't hear a lot of people talk about it now. But, at the time... It was huge. Mm -hmm. it, it made like $20 million or something in the opening weekend. Like, it, it, it made a lot of money. And it was like the, it was the birth of resurgence in 3D. It was. Mm -hmm. I mean, if anyone tries to tell you that it was Avatar, they need to go fuck themselves. It was actually we'll never be rid of that movie. It was actually My Bloody Valentine 3D that got people in Hollywood talking about the possibilities of current 3D technology in movies. Um, and this happened a lot at the end of you know, like the 2000s, the beginning of the 2010s, and stuff or whatever. You saw this a lot, specifically in horror, and it started here. Um. Most most movements in film actually start in the horror genre, but do they get credit for that? No. Whatever. This genre. Yeah. But uh, okay, so the remake. Jensen Ackles making his rounds and um. Yeah. Jensen Ackles is in it. Um, they don't change all that much. It's like this time around, like there's a collapse, a bunch of miners die. It's, it's an Ackles fault. Um, there's one survivor, Harry Warden, just like before. He's like he's in a coma, and then he wakes up, and he has like Hulk powers because sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just like goes on this rampage and like kills like the whole hospital staff and dismembers all these people and he goes back to the mine and there's a bunch of these teenagers there and he kills all the teenagers except for Jensen Ackles and his uh, girlfriend and their other friend uh, Axel 
Warden gets killed, and then Tom leaves because he's like, oh my god, look at all, all this terrible shit that I caused. Um, and then I was like 10 or 15 years later, and Tom comes back. His, I think it's because his dad dies. I don't remember. And um, then, you know, it, it, then basically the same things happen, you know, like shit starts to unravel on Valentine's Day. Everyone's trying to put the past behind them, but it's it's not, not working. Someone in a, the minor outfit shows up, starts offing people. Is it Warden? Is he still alive? Is it Jensen Ackles? Is it someone else? And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. So, do we want to give away the... Um, ending on this one. There is a twist in this. It is not the same as the original. <laughs> it's not the same as the original. Um, um, well, okay, let's see. We'll see if it happens. We'll see, we'll, if, we we'll see if we have to get there. If we have to bring it up, I guess, as part of the discussion. Um, yeah. Because I do think the reveal of the killer is kind of very much a 2010s kind of the like a motif that you see in recent horror movies. Um, I guess hints of what it is, like you see it in, um, oh, what's that movie called? Uh, not tape nine, gosh darn it. Session nine. Oh my God. Too much Goose Island IPA. Session nine. And, and, um, another recent horror film that just came out. Um, you know, you see that a lot recently. That's kind of a big thing. Um, psychological sort of motifs in, in these things. Um, and I guess I wonder, the question is, is, is it saying something different by changing who the killer is and why, um, in this movie as compared to the original? Interesting. Yeah. Because that's my, yeah, this is the thing we talked about in remakes when we first kind of like broached this a little bit with Nightmare on Elm Street is that, you know, if you're going to remake it, you know, even if it sucks, like have a purpose with it, you know, change something about it, you know, don't just cast the hottest, newest actors in it and be like, oh, we're redoing Friday the 13th, but with some hot new actors that aren't from the 80s, you know, like have something that you're changing about it. Uh, um, okay. Like, but okay, yes, yes, though, because the remake was right at the beginning. It was 2009 mm -hmm. when the remake came out, and that was right when we were getting all these other remakes of established 80s horror franchises, usually slashers. And now they were like, they looked all slick, and the cast also looked really slick. And. <laughs> Like, no, think about it. Like, you mm -hmm. had this in, in 2009. Um, the Final Destination was in 3D. Mm -hmm. uh, Piranha was in 3D. Saw 3D. One of the Amityvilles, I think, was in 3D. Like, yeah. <clears throat> um, and then and you had all the other remakes, even if they were in 3D, that were happening. Nightmare on Elm Street, 2010. Rob Zombie's Halloween, 2009. Um the Friday the 13th remake in 2009. Like, yeah. just, yeah. My Bloody Valentine 3D was kind of the beginning of it all. Yeah, and if you look at those other remakes, they really, again, don't do, I mean, Rob Zombie's, you know, Halloween aside. The majority of them don't really do anything 
all that different. They no. kind of just recreate the, the same movie. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street gets props for kind of bringing it back to its roots in changing Freddy's backstory a little bit um, and making kind of a very different film, um, you know, props to that. But this is like, there's just like such a fundamental change, I feel like, in My Bloody Valentine 3D when it's revealed at the end what's actually going on. Um, and mm -hmm. it's, I think, a, I hate saying the phrase ahead of its time because like, that's like so cliche, but I think it honestly predicted like an interesting trend um, that you see now in some, some later horror films um, and even stuff that came out very recently with the reason behind who our killer is and what this killer is doing. Um, well, I think it was just, since it was one of the first of these kind of slasher remakes, I think it was genuinely trying to do something new. Mm -hmm. It wasn't trying to just update it with good looking people and better cameras and cash in. Mm -hmm. It wanted to, to put a different spin on the story. Whereas I feel like the more we went on into the 2010s with the remake trend, no one wanted to do that anymore. Yeah. They just want to, you know, have cell phones and laptops and, you know, <laughs> references. Which sometimes I feel like rings that makes the movie not big <laughs> Like, okay, you want to do it where they can get on Facebook? Like, what? <laughs> like, why are they not calling for help? Um, you know, and that sort of thing. And how does rings work when nobody uses VHSs anymore? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm probably not going to. Um, but yeah, that's the thing is, is like you have to. But I don't want to pay for it. No, no, no. Um, I could have seen it for five bucks on Tuesday, but like, eh, it was snowing. Um, but yeah, like this is one of those things where they're like, all right, we're remaking it. Let's revamp the story. Let's rearrange some things. It's not so much about now, like, you know, it's it's it, it's about trying to escape the past and, and kind of how you can't do that, but not in the sense of like, oh, the newer generation doesn't want to acknowledge the history. It's about how the history can come back and haunt people um, who maybe experienced it. And how that just doesn't go away either, which I think is a very, you know, it, it's such a great way to, to kind of redo the same themes and, and make them new and fresh again. I mean, it's not necessarily like that in and of itself is a brand new concept, but it's like, okay, like this is another side of the argument, um, I feel like. No, I would agree. I would agree. Mm -hmm. um, it. Yeah, no, I just agree. I think I just, I just straight up agree. agree. I have no refuting statement for that. Um, I straight up agree. Um, yeah. The, I'm trying to, like, I kind of don't want to reveal. Yeah, no, I kind of, we've gotten this far without, without talking. Yeah, like, um, the, because it's relatively difficult to... Just watching the movie straight up, looking at the script, the writing is is good. It's like well manicured. Mm -hmm. There's lots of suspense. 
and maybe after the revelation, you're kind of like, oh, right. But when you're actually watching it, like the script is that the story itself doesn't actually give you all that much for you to be like, oh, it's definitely so and so. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like that, and that is a thing, like you know, 2009, like, we're well into, like, the world of who's the killer? Let me make you think it's this person. Is it this person? Oh, it turns out it was this person, you know, like, and it plays with that as well. Um, which, you know, the original, yes, did the whole, like, all right, who's the killer? Like, is it going to be a big reveal? But, and this did the same thing, but post the two decades between the movies where it was like, all right, this has happened. This has happened. This is, or the three decades, I guess. And this has happened, you know, let's do it this way. Um, I feel like both films kind of like in their own way had their, their, their fingers on the pulse of, of what was going on in horror and what would end up ultimately being um, popular. Because if you, even if you look at the original, you can say, okay, that predicted what would get, what, what would happen many, many, many years later with Saul and the fact mm-hmm. that people wanted to watch these like shocking kills and like, um, you know, it, it, it became about the traps and the ways that the horrifying ways that people could die, you know? Um, so it's interesting the way that the, the, the remake and the original are tied thematically and in, and in the point uh, well, in the points that they're making, but do them in such different ways and do them effectively, I think, in their respective um, attempts. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. It's... It's very... rare. I feel like that a remake succeeds in areas where the original didn't or where the remake is is on par with the original yeah wouldn't i wouldn't say that the 2009 film exceeds 1981 but i think it's just as good mm-hmm. just as interesting um you know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example that's comparable where it's like the remake actually. Because it's like when you have a cover song and sometimes like the cover of a song <laughs> is actually better than the. You're like, oh my god, like I don't like the song, but I love the cover of it. You know, and it's yes. like you hit on different things when, when you kind of take the same core material and the same DNA and do it differently, you know, like change some bits around, slow down here, go faster here, cut this out, put this in. Um, and again, like my bloody Valentine's example, remakes aren't evil. They're not bad. Well, mm. many of them do end up being so, but the remake itself many of them a, up as a default is not an evil concept, you know, like, yes, we understand that you love the original, whatever. And we do too, but you know, like you've got my bloody Valentine where it's not just about giving them all cell phones and having them make jokes about Twitter. It's, you know, how can we take this same concept and look at it in a different way? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And even... Okay, so... Now I'm thinking, even if... Mm-hmm. Remakes or reboots or reimaginings or whatever the fuck people are calling it these days... 
even if they're not good and they are kind of terrible, mm-hmm. um, they're still kind of great in the sense that when you go and watch them, like you're reminded why your childhood favorites and why these horror classics are classics. Mm. Yeah. And it drives fans back to revisit the originals and appreciate them in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I 100% like, agree because, like, there are movies when I was a kid that I saw the remake first and I was like, oh, I want to go watch the original now. Or, like, I saw the sequel first and it's like, oh, now I want to go watch the original in the 80s or what have you. Um, no matter what, it's, remember, going to, it's going to do that. I remember that happened with a lot of people when I was, I remember this was like sophomore, junior year of high school when the Wicker Man remake mm. came out with Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. And it was trash. I mean, it was garbage. Nicolas Cage. So, But I remember I was on like a couple like horror, like chat communities, horror boards, like I think on IMDb and Fangoria and, and maybe trash epics. I remember a lot of people who had not seen the original coming on and like asking where could they see it. And then in the months after the remake, there was this huge interest in the original Robin Hardy, 1973 Wicker Man. Um, because people wanted to know like how, like this terrible remake, like was the original this terrible? Why? Like what happened and stuff or whatever. (laughs) What happened here? Remakes are fascinating. Like, yeah. even like, good comes out of the bad ones, and yeah, even more good comes out of the good ones. Like My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, yeah. Remakes of anything, like even outside of horror, just remakes of any movie is just kind of like a fascinating concept because it's like you've got that presence and that nostalgia and that cultural consciousness that you're playing with. Um, and I think the thing is is that it's a lot of responsibility, and that's what people don't realize with um, a lot of remakes, is it's not just you're doing it for fun. Like, oh, like, if we put up, you know, they'll be like, oh, Michael Myers, Halloween, you know, like, oh, you know, that'll look so good in the trailers. Um, oh, this is what we can do for the, the poster. Like, it's not just about, like, the gimmick of of catching people with, like, a collective boogeyman that we all kind of know and, and fear it's that you know you've got a lot going on there because you do have the, the the cultural consciousness watching and knowing and we all have this kind of shared experience where we see a hockey mask or a chainsaw or a pickaxe or a butcher knife and just know inherently you know what it means who it belongs to and kind of have our own sort of memories with with these films um, and I think that uh, responsibility is not something that people take into consideration when they do a lot of remakes. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just about like, oh, like, how's the best way can we get, you know, Michael to have his entrance that'll like really like amp people up. It's like, for a lot of people, this like scared the shit out of them when they were kids. <laughs> like, I was right. terrified when I was, like, 11 years old of Freddy. Like I, like, I remember being, like, I think there was, like, some legitimate, like, trauma. <laughs> like, because for months I was having issues sleeping. <laughs> like, I was a kid. I wasn't even 11. I had to have been younger because it was before I moved to Arizona. So, you know, I was, like, 
traumatized by seeing um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, um, you know, for months, like, I was convinced that, you know, that Freddy was just gonna get me, like, for, you know, ever. So now it's like, when I see him, I remember that, like, I remember how terrified I was as a kid. So if you're gonna show me a new version of Freddy, um, or you're gonna make me watch this over again, like, scare, scare, scare me as well as you scared me the first time. Right. Um, you know, don't just aim to be like, it's Freddy, these kids have iPhones, it's slightly different. You know, like, keep in mind, this scared you for a reason, you're making this remake for a reason. Um, you know, and try and harness that. Um, because I do think there are ways to make the same thing scary twice. Um, in different ways. It's not easy, but... It's not easy, but that's that's what we all hope for, right? When we go into a remake, mm -hmm. we want that sense of original fear and and that all those different sort of, I don't know, reactions and emotions and psychological mind games that you remember from the first time mm -hmm. you experienced Michael or Jason or Pinhead or mm -hmm. whoever and stuff or whatever. So and maybe it's impossible for a remake to ever get you back there, yeah. but you, you like it when you can tell the filmmakers tried their damnedest. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, like Patrick Lussier, the director, I, I think he did. He tried his hardest with my Bloody Valentine 3D. Yeah. Um, and even implementing this 3D, you know, as, you know, at the time, it was a newer kind of thing that people were doing with movies. Like, there wasn't every movie being released also in 3D. Um, you know, even that, it's like, all right, let's take this technology that's kind of becoming popular and see what we can do with it to, to try and... Because, you know, the first movie was gory as shit. Maybe we can't make this one as shockingly gory, but we can still make it visceral in the same way by right. implementing 3D technology. Well, and what was great, and what's great with the, the remake is that the 3D is used to heighten the story, but it doesn't drive the story. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not stupid 3D moments just for the sake of there being 3D moments. Like, if you watch the Piranha remake, it it's just, it's really fun. Mm -hmm. I love the Piranha remake, but, oh my god, it's just, it's just 3D for the sake of it being in 3D. Yeah. You know, and and it's, it makes for all these contrived, awkward moments, and you don't have that here. Like, it's used really, really well. And I don't like 3D movies in, at all. Yeah, as I, a know, I hate them. I can't remember the last movie I saw in 3D. It might but, have been a Harry Potter movie. That might be how long ago. It's <laughs> sacrilege. Sacrilege. Shame. I know. Shame. Um, this, 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 you know, like, nobody goes into remakes as a blank canvas. Even people who have never seen Halloween. They know something about Michael Myers. They don't live under a rock. Um, and that's what people have to to consider is, you know, like every movie's, you know, a blank canvas movie, people are going in excited, but with remakes, people have attached memories, people have preconceived notions, people are judging you already because you're a remake. Um, so you really need to keep that in mind. That's why remakes are like so difficult. And I feel like you needed to pay such meticulous attention to them. 
um, or at least look like you were. And I think, like you said, this My Bloody Valentine 3D, it did look like they were trying to do something different with the same sort of DNA um, of the original, which I really appreciate. Um, and that was the reason, like, I didn't totally 100% hate The Nightmare on Elm Street remake, because I was like, this is not a good movie. This is not even really a good horror movie. But I understand what it is you're trying to do and the roots you're trying to get at and the ways you're trying to make Freddy Krueger scary again. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. Because I also do not consider the Nightmare on Elm Street remake to be all that good of a movie. Yeah. However, I give them total credit for thank you. Uh, everything that they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess the lesson here is remakes are not inherently bad. They're not inherently bad. Not at all. So, uh, well, I guess we've come to the moment. This is the moment. This Um, is the moment. Yeah. Um, Who wins our throwdown? The original, 1981, My Bloody Valentine? Or the 3D remake from 2009? I personally enjoy the complicated story of the remake and the way they kind of toyed with who the killer was and why and all that stuff. So I'm going to go with the remake. I am also going to give it to the remake Aces. because of the improve. Yes, the improve, not necessarily improvements, but the tweaks to the story, mm-hmm. making it a bit more layered, making it a bit more complex. Um, I don't fault the original for being pretty straightforward because again, they have their own sort of semi-twist going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of conscious thought in the remake in regards to the story and the ending and the killer and da 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 And it works well. Yeah. Yeah. But you wouldn't have thought that. We both yeah. went with the remake. We went with the remake. Our first original versus remake throwdown, and we went with the remake. What? That's a twist in and of itself. Um, But yeah, like, seriously, like, just, you know, and, like, that's the thing is, you know, like, I I don't hate remakes. Like, you know, obviously I hate fucking Blair Witch remake because I knew they weren't going to do it right. I don't. And they didn't. No, they don't. God, they didn't. But, you know, that's the thing. If somebody said to me, I've got an idea for a Blair Witch remake and was able to lay out the reasons they were doing what they were doing and what if we did this and what if we played with that and then it would be like, okay, I'm receptive to it because let's see how we can make this thing that was scary in the 90s scary in 2017. And that was the thing with My Bloody Valentine is how can we make this thing that was a carbon copy in the 1980s of an entire genre and make it not necessarily different. Like, it's not really, you know, it was still part of a craze of remakes at the time. But, you know, like, how can how can we make it stand out the way the original one kind of had a uniqueness to it, too? So, Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sure. No, 
Yeah. I don't feel like I, we, whatever, rag on remakes a lot. And the, the royal there's, there's some, uh, there's, there's truth to that. I do hate a lot of remakes. Mm-hmm. Fog. Remake. <laughs> I hate. Prom night. You know, remake, it's funny because Fog was the first one I thought of when you were listing off bad remakes. I was like, the Fog. <laughs> it's a terrible remake. Don't come at me with that shit. Black Christmas. Don't ever come at me with the Black Christmas <sighs> remake. That was like direct-to-video too, wasn't it? I don't even think it was uh, in theaters. It was so bad. But I don't, as a rule, just like with Mel, I don't hate remakes inherently. Mm-hmm. If you're good remake i'll admit it and acknowledge it and root for you yeah um unfortunately there's just not a ton that's like so a sort of odd example but i feel like might be comparable here is disney's recent prompt with remaking (laughs) their animated classics into live action films Um, which is a very divisive Topic it's out a there. very divisive topic. Cinderella was garbage because um, I didn't see it, but I know it was garbage. But from what I, um, you know, what I gathered from it, it was basically the problem with it was is that they were trying to walk the line a little bit with like create recreating the same nostalgic feelings and the same things you got from watching the original, but also making its own story. Right? Like everyone, you know, it, right. it wasn't the same movie. It was like just using kind of the imagery of, of the movie that we kind of grew up with. Beauty and the Beast literally looks like the same movie with live action people because they learn from their mistake. Yes. But my thing, you know, there is like, okay, like I'm receptive to it because I have memories with this. I want to relive them. I want to like this movie. I'm not going to go in saying I'm going to hate this the way I did with Blair Witch. You know, you go in, you go in rooting for them because it's, you know, it's no matter what, it's still going to be an attachment to that memory that you have. Um, no matter what the, the movie being remade is. Um, and that's kind of the mindset you should have, you know, go into a remake, you know, trying to root for it as much as I hated sitting in Blair Witch. I was like, yeah, like I really like the original and I'm thinking about how much I like the original because this is garbage, but I really hoped you could have done better with using the, the mantle that you were using. Um, so yeah, like, you know, go in with hope, even where there is none. Right. I give, give, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in giving everything a chance because especially in horror, that's how you find some really great gems. Yeah. Um, just, just be a realist though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Give, give, Give the remakes a chance, but you know, and and have your have your hope, but be careful. Yeah, <laughs> that's most hope. have that, and just know that it might not happen. Yeah, and nine times out of ten, it probably won't because most remakes are a gimmick, but um, some of them do try. Um, but yeah, so in this case, you know. Check out the original, check out the remake, decide for yourself if you agree um, with our our call that the remake kind of um, is the superior uh, film experience. Because these are, I mean, original and remake both, these are very, very sort of 
not super polarizing, but fairly polarizing movies in the horror community. Um, you got a lot of people that go to bat for both of them, and you have a lot of people that take smacks at both of them. We like both. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the thing too. Don't, don't feel like it's a one or the other. You know, like you can like both. Yeah. You can think one is better yeah. than the other, but that doesn't mean the original's not that great either, or the remake's not that great either. Hey, I, I think they make a great double feature. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine, like, going at midnight to be like, my bloody that, I would do that. That's how I would want to spend my Valentine's Day. So what I'm hearing, then, is I'm taking an emergency flight down to D.C., and that's <laughs> what's happening on Valentine's Day. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um... Yeah, and again, like, there's, like, not really any other film that's claiming the Valentine's Day mantle, and, like, what's more fun than, like, fucking hearts in a box on Valentine's Day? Right, not like, right. like, come on, like, the imagery of that is just so much fun. Um, it's so much fun. It, it, they're, they're such fun movies, yeah. especially the original. Like, they're they're just such a ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's no psychotic coded gang member turkey running around murdering people. <laughs> no. No, oh, there isn't. Boy. No. What there, what but imagine if there were. Imagine if there were. Um, That's the remake remake. <laughs> the the miner is revealed to be the turkey from Thanks Killing. Um, but yeah. So that is that is our stance on it. Um, <laughs> she said to the pilgrim who had no explanation for why she had for why she was shirtless, shirtless <laughs> had a bonnet but had nothing covering her boobs. Um, but yeah, so that is that is our first um, original versus remake throwdown. It also uh, encompasses our Valentine's Day podcast. For those of you out there yeah. who'd rather listen to a podcast than do something fun on Valentine's Day. You are correct. Um, you are correct. Yeah, so do you have others that you'd like us to throw down about? We talked a lot about Nightmare on Elm Street. Maybe we'll do that. Um, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit, I think, about Friday the 13th, but there's definitely more that we can drag on in the, the remake. Halloween, the fog, the hills have eyes. Um, <laughs> the hills have eyes remake. Oh, my God, I forgot. The Savage Claire. Yeah. <laughs> Claire. Savage Claire yeah. in that movie. Yeah, the poltergeist. Um, yeah. Amityville. Like, there's so many. So, if there's ones you want to hear, name them. If not, we'll do them anyway. Yeah, we probably will. At, at some point. Are you looking at your Are you looking at your movies right now? Was that what, oh, yeah. that was? what else has been remade? What else has been remade that we could get to at some point? Night of the Living Dead. Ooh. Psycho. No, we don't have to do that. Everybody knows how that's going <laughs> to Spoiler alert. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah, so, and, you know, it's always fun to... Because this is the thing, and it's interesting, because we recently had a discussion post topic about this in my master's program. Um, in discussing um, A Monster Calls, one of the questions... I love that book. It's so good. But one of the questions prompted um, in terms of that and the other book we had to read, which was Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, um, is the use of horror and about... Love that one less. Yeah. I've heard they get worse as they go on, too. 
Yeah, they do. Oh, that sucks. It's like the Hunger Games. Um, But basically how horror is never about what it's about. It's always about something else. Um, Always. And that's why I think remakes are so interesting to look at because they're different decades, different generations, and they're always about different things. Um, You know, what scares that generation? What is the social implications of that generation? Um, what is happening politically in that generation. All of that factors into remakes versus their original. So if nothing else, they're fun to look at from cultural perspective and say, you know, what the frick separates 2009 from 1981 and why is it this way when it was this way and, and, Mm. you know, why did you make that choice that you made? So, yeah. I... Completely agree. I'm uh, one of these days we're gonna find something we completely don't agree on, and then we're just gonna have a fight over. Oh, it. there's gotta be something. There's gotta be something. So, I don't know. Um, we'll figure it out eventually. But no, yeah. horror is to me the part the like the perfect genre for if those who like to dig deep into their movies okay. and. Uh, to find layers and different meanings. Yeah. And to me, I'd, I've never been able to really find a genre that I think better reflects um, the time period in which the film was made, um, that has better commentary on the society in which it was made in. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, and I mean, that's... They're metaphors. Like, even when they're not metaphors, they're metaphors for something. Um, even if the director or the writer says, no, it's just about X, Y, and Z, it's not. It's never about what it's actually no. about. Um, and that's what's always fun about horror, um, is that it's it's escapism, it's catharsis, and it's also a mirror, um, which makes remakes in that genre inherently interesting and inherently worth um, sampling, just because, you know, two different generations are not going to see the same issues and they're not going to see them different or the same rather. So, so you know, have at it, you know, like check them out. Um, see, see what you see. Yeah, that'd be really, now I'm thinking since you mentioned the generational approaching different issues, just what's first sprang to mind was, um, night of the living dead. Yeah, no, that is the number one thing. When I think of horror not being about what it's really about, I think of Night of the Living Dead and, and what everything is saying. films are so political. But if you compare the original with the remake, they're saying two completely different things. Yeah. Um, same with the original Dawn of the Dead and the Dawn of the Dead remake, which is a really phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. But they're saying different things because, of, you know, one was made in 78 and one was made in 2004. A lot's changed. Yeah. Uh, you're totally right. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll we'll do some more. Uh, with that in mind going forward and you should too in the meantime indeed indeed also be looking out in the near future for a um horror academy awards episode Um, excited it's coming up soon kids 14 sleeps good coming up it's almost the oscars um, horror, you know, notoriously generally gets overlooked. Um, it occasionally breaks through and 
in um, some of the lower categories, it has very rarely broken through in the bigger categories. Yeah, two very and famous examples I can think of of them breaking through the best picture categories. Yeah, and we'll definitely have to talk about those. Um, only one horror movie has ever won Best Picture in the history of the ceremony. Um, but it is one of the three movies to win the big five. So there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there. And I'm sure that we will. It's also, you know, <laughs> I just think it's funny that... Silence of the Lambs and Beauty and the Beast are nominated for Best Picture in the same year. year. 1991 was crazy, yo. It was wild. <laughs> it was wild. Things were happening. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so we're very excited about that. We've been talking about doing that for a while. Um, yeah, so that'll yeah. be... And I imagine that'll, that'll be probably be the next episode. Yeah, because we're down to two weeks, so this is going to be our Valentine's Day week episode, and then we will do that shortly before we have our <laughs> infamous Oscars party. Um, infamous Oscars party. Yeah, because as usual, usual when, when Craig and I are in the same place, we oh. cannot record a podcast. <laughs> oh my god! Maybe we'll try and squeeze that in at some point. We yeah. said we pr tried to do that before, and it did not work. Yeah, we can figure it out. But, Maybe. um... We'll see. Um, but yeah, so look forward to that stuff. After that, you know, I'm sure there's some St. Patrick's Day stuff. Leprechaun! <laughs> yes! Which always, it's always Leprechaun Jennifer 3. Jennifer Aniston's biggest shame. I think it's always, it's like always Leprechaun 3 that's on TV. Like, I don't understand why. I always feel like I catch, um, Leprechaun, uh, Back to the Hood. Like, the fourth <sighs> one. Yeah. Yeah, or the fifth one. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why is this always the one I see? I've seen it's, that one like 15 times. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, no matter what, you always tune in halfway through the second task. <laughs> yeah, halfway through the second task, the Goblet of Fire. Or no matter when you're watching Fear Fest, you're going to catch Jason X. Yeah. <laughs> or how it's always per like perpetually one week before the country musical <laughs> Yep. Yep. Mm. Uh, All right, kids. So if you want to email us, it is splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. If you want to find us on Twitter, it is splatterchatter666 um, with the vowels removed or just search it. That's probably easiest. Um, we are on iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, Mr. Craig's blog is splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. We also have a Tumblr, splatterchatter.tumblr.com. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. All our modes of communication. Um, yeah, yeah, email us. Tell us what you think about the remakes. If there's remake battles that you think we should have. Um, if you think remakes are garbage and we are totally wrong in our philosophy on not hating them, let us know that too. We love, we need some divisiveness yeah. because we agree too much. So, stir the pot. I know. And I know there is a big segment of the horror community out there that... No matter what it is, they don't believe anything should ever be remade. Yeah. And, and you, uh, you know, maybe you are a purist, you know, go for it. Own that. Yeah, or a purist. Exactly. Tell us how wrong I, we are. I feel like I'm like that when it comes to certain things. Like, don't touch the exorcist. 
Yeah, um, The Exorcist. Mm. I feel that I feel that way still, for the most part, about Blair Witch. I'm receptive. Yeah, but also we've talked uh, extensively uh, why say, it worked when it worked. <laughs> yeah, I say don't touch The Shining. Mm. I said don't touch Halloween and then Bob Zombie Stephen King. Don't touch The Shining, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King. <laughs> I know you right? know what you did. <laughs> He knows, though. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> He's in Black cave. Chris, they went, did that anyway, whatever. Yeah, they did do that. Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, hit us up. Look for Oscars. Um, well, yes. award winning. And, um, there'll be more blog posts coming soon. I have been, um, I've been watching a lot of horror recently. Uh, um, a couple good gems that I would like to. Uh, yeah. You guys. Um, you plugged last time, I think, uh, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I now need I to check did. out. Um did. I also watched um, I Am Not a Serial Killer. That sounds uh, like something Christopher- a serial killer would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, that was pretty decent. Um, I also uh, rented Sauna, which has been on my radar for a long time. I'm going to check that out. Um, Netflix has some good stuff. Mm. The Wailing and Under the Shadow. Hush is um, still on Netflix, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Um, get, it, it get it it's while you awesome. can, because it's been on there forever, which means it's probably going to go away. <laughs> Here soon. Get it watched. Um, yeah, I, um, I actually, I, uh, write some, some horror articles for, a website called the occult magazine.com. Um, and all my topics for this coming month are horror films and horror yeah. books. So I will be plugging those and uh, retweeting those so you can read them. I got permission from them to do it because I didn't know if I was allowed to, <laughs> because up until now I've been writing anonymously for them. Um, cause that's what I do in my yeah. spare time. Um, but yeah, right. so check those yeah. out. Um, a lot of them are stuff that we've mentioned before. So, I also want to quickly plug, um, I won't be writing a blog post about it because um, I'm not done with it, but uh, I recently discovered a really interesting horror anthology series called Channel Zero. Ooh. It's a sci-fi show, and I, I know, don't, hold on, bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> their conceit is that um, each season they are going to tell the story of a different creepypasta. What? And for the first season, before. they are tackling Candle Cove. I watched the first two episodes the other night and it was really good. Um, so if you have on demand or um, I think it's on Amazon. I recommend it. It just aired last fall. Not a lot of people are talking about it, but it's pretty good. Channel Zero. Channel Zero. Interesting. Also, that's the Occult Museum, not magazine. I knew it was something with an M. Anyway, <laughs> Occult M. You'll you'll see. You'll see it. You'll see it. Um, great. Cool. Thank cool. You. And um. That's a, that's about it, isn't it, Miss Mill? Yeah, I think so. I think we're all okay. tapped out. So um, we'll say happy Valentine's Day. Don't wander too close to any mines out there. Yeah. 
And um, we'll see you for our Oscars horror episode shortly. But until then, we will say au revoir, adios, and das Madonna.